3: Hello and welcome back to the PH Nutrition Podcast. My name is Luke. I am one of the coaches here at PH and I am again joined today by the man himself, the owner of PH Nutrition. It is Liam Holmes. Liam, how are you
1: doing today? Very well, buddy. Very good. The sun is shining. Cold winter's day. It's nice. It's nice. I wish I was a runner on these days. Like I'm not really a really? runner. Really? I mean, I'm not really a runner about that. It's just a nice thing. You know? when getting out like, in, the, in the sunshine is crisp. You know, I think it would be a nice thing, but... Like, just, uh, legit, but i'm not a runner so i'm not doing that so really i'd rather it was a few degrees
3: warmer no it than is because i've today. been on a couple of runs this week and my nose and my ears yeah. and felt like they're gonna fall off yeah. so one of those but it's ace on. obviously it's january and january is a time of year where people dive into fat loss people new year new me is in the air people are probably approaching a deficit because they've probably gone a little bit too hard over the festive period, that kind of thing. And what we are talking about today is essentially, I mean, not essentially, it is how to maintain muscle mass whilst in a deficit. So obviously, when we're looking at fat loss, we want it to be fat loss. We want to make sure that you maintain as much muscle mass as possible. It's not always going to be 100%. There are obviously different scenarios where it's a little bit easier to maintain muscle mass, that kind of thing. But what we're going to talk about today is basically just the, the basics of all the things that you should be doing right yeah. to make sure that most of the weight you lose is going to be fat and you're going to maintain that muscle mass and the results you want. So Liam, nice and simple, kicking us off. I think one of the best things to do to make sure you're maintaining muscle mass whilst in a deficit is to continue to resistance train. Uh, thoughts
1: on that? 100%. Buddy, like that is the number one pillar, I think, for anybody that is trying to say diet and maintain muscle mass. And I've spoken about this before in terms of, you know, we want to lose fat, but we don't want to lose weight. And we can make anyone lose weight. You get into a calorie deficit and you can do any type of training that you want. Okay. You can, you know, run, you can, you know, do CrossFit, you can do, you know, walking, biking, whatever you want. Because The key driver, as we know, is a calorie deficit. However, like you say, if we're maintaining muscle mass, we want to lose fat, not just lose overall weight, then resistance training is just an absolute non-negotiable. And I think potentially one of the things that people get worried about is that they have to do hypertrophy or they have to do like heavy weights. And the research kind of lends itself to doing any any form of resistance training, isn't it? It's putting that muscle through tension, and, and just ensuring that there is some load going through the body, I don't know specifics in terms of the research paper, but some of the bits that I come across were like even if you just did like say body weight stuff, maintaining muscle mass can be done through just like say body weight resistance, like so to putting your, say your press-ups squats, lunges, you know it, it, these types of things that you can do without an external force when' going to the gym and getting under a bar or using a dumbbell. You can still maintain a certain level of muscle mass by doing this. Great.
3: Definitely. Yeah. And and uh, exercise physiologists, you can correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, but I believe and what I can remember from studies that I've looked at in the past, that volume is more important than intensity Tensity. when looking to maintain. Uh, so just making sure that your tick of the box is basically and doing a decent amount of volume. That's probably going to be resistance training about three or four times a week, minimum sort of thing to make sure that you're maintaining it. But you're just looking to yeah stimulate that muscle protein synthesis ultimately and we know that there's two big things that do that one of which resistance training tick done and the other of course being protein feeds um which we'd be remiss to talk about on this podcast so yeah liam run us through kind of protein feeds and
1: their role in muscle protein synthesis what we need to do well you're exactly that like it's a hierarchy that if you get the resistance training some form of resistance training across the week protein is the next step And protein is, it's key. It's the building blocks of muscle tissue. So if you're not providing your body with adequate protein, again, you're, you're making it damn hard for yourself. So the amount of protein, I think is probably something to unpack where when you're in, when you're in a deficit, obviously overall calories are going to be a little bit lower. So what we would advise is. As calories come down overall, your protein, the the amount of percentage, the the amount of protein that you eat should start to kind of stay the same or increase. So the percentage will probably increase. So someone that is at maintenance or in a surplus, maybe their percentage of protein is 25%, 30%. As you start to diet down, you've got to try to ensure that your overall protein intake doesn't just kind of keep reducing down as well. I think you need to shift the percentages that you're consuming to ensure that you maintain a a healthy protein intake of around one point six to two grams, maybe a little bit higher. Like, and if you do that, I think you're putting yourself into a you know good situation to be able to maintain muscle mass. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Yes. Or what's your thoughts on those numbers? And you know, as you as, as I say, as we get into more of a deficit protein becomes probably a little bit more important
3: yeah yeah i would agree with that i think numbers wise as well i would almost use those as the minimum i know there's been a bit of research yeah, in the past where they've right. even looked at amounts up to three grams of protein per kilo body weight in the day and i that there, there, there was kind of small amounts of evidence to suggest that, that three grams per kilo is a little bit better than two and um, when you're thinking about deficit you've got to think about the volume of food coming in as well and if you're consuming three grams of protein per kilo body weight it might not leave much room for carbs fats depending obviously on how much yeah. you're taking in um so you can play around with the numbers for sure i tend yeah. to just as a rule of thumb go with the classic grams per Two kilo grams. The, the, or be, if for americans out there they like to say like one they they one, go like one pound of
1: protein per body weight
3: pound per pound yeah which is this is 2.2 pounds to a kilo so it works out uh, roughly about the same roughly and i think you can't really go far wrong there you're the saying with regards kind of the more of a deficit you get into kind of the more important protein needs to come and um, still you should still shouldn't forget about obviously the other macros and carbs in particular yeah. i know liam in the past you have spoken about carbs being protein sparing you've used that phrase a fair amount in the past so if you want to expand a little bit on what that might mean and why carbohydrates still kind of need to be focused on especially in and around training
1: yeah, because your body, when you're in a deficit, obviously has less available energy. So when you're asking it to perform daily activities, when you're asking it to exercise, you know, it has to derive the energy source from somewhere. And unless you're, if you're doing any form of like exercise apart from you know, walking or very very low intensity exercise, carbohydrates or glycogen, you know, is going to be a an energy so- energy source that you use. Now, what we don't want to do is we don't want the body to utilise you know, protein as an energy, as a fuel. We don't want it to break down muscle tissue because that's naturally catabolic in nature. It's not going to help us to the, you know, achieve the title of this podcast of maintaining muscle mass. So it, carbohydrates basically spare protein from being used as an energy source. And you consume them because carbohydrates then are you know, stored as muscle glycogen, which can then be used for kind of say slightly more high intensity exercise. And, Protein is allowed to do the things that it's meant to do as opposed to being a very inefficient fuel source or through gluconeogenesis turned into, to, into, into glycogen and glucose. So if you can have, you know, not necessarily you need to have a high carbohydrate diet because you're going to be on a slightly lower calories, but having some carbohydrates, when you are, you know, in particular, doing some form of resistance training or, or, or you know, higher output, I think it's going to be beneficial. So you know that would be something to look at in terms of your overall intake to ensure that you're getting some form of carbohydrates you can know, come from fruit come from starches, and you know whatever you want to kind of get it from, I think it's a useful thing. obviously, we want to be making sure that you know the the volume of your of your intake is there, so maybe not going for the very energy dense fruits and and carbohydrate sources you know packing them out with a little bit more kind of fibrous veggies starches root veg you know fruits that type that type of thing would be a, a sensible strategy
3: awesome and uh, we'd be remiss to not talk about fats and i want to bring fats up liam um, just because sometimes they get mentioned in the kind of same vein of uh, low fat diets leading to low testosterone mm. and potential issues there uh, that's something that's kind of always floating out there Um the reason kind of being because testosterone is a steroid hormone it's derived from cholesterol so the thinking being. Very low fat diets can lead to low T and that kind of thing. And and there is a little bit of evidence to suggest that, but we're talking kind of like very low for long periods periods of time as well. So it's one of those where if the deficit isn't too long, then I would historically kind of advise, again, it's person to person, but historically I tend to advise low fat over low carb because we know when we've looked at evidence in the past, it doesn't really matter if you go low fat or low carb as long as kind of protein is matched and it's consistent and you adhere to it. I always just think that carbs, you get kind of that little bit benefit. And with regards to training, pushing training a little bit harder potentially. But that again varies person to person, but is my kind of point of yeah. reference with regards to kind of like a general rule for, for fats. Do you have any numbers that you kind of throw out there that you think, hey, don't go under this, even if you are going low fat or?
1: yeah i completely agree with with the you know the stuff that we've that you just mentioned there because you know fat is essential so we we need we need certain amounts but it's also very energy dense and it's very easy to go over consume so we often find that you know switching to a slightly you know not higher carbohydrate but more balanced carbohydrate intake when you're dieting allows you just like i say a bit more volume in your food and conducive to helping you you know perform better exercise so with the fat, I, I don't normally advise people to be going kind of lower than point five to 0.7 grams per kilo body weight. The lighter that you are, that needs to be maybe shoved to, to kind of one kind of 0.7, 0.8. So if you're someone that's like, you know, 80 for 80 kilos or just to make it easy for maths, 100 kilos, we can, you can scale it up and down. You know, you could go to like, you know, 50 grams of fat, okay, real bottom end for short, like I say, for shorter periods of time. But if you're going down, if you're someone that's 50 kilos going down to 25 kilos, 25 grams of fat is relatively low. So you might want yeah. to kind of shift that back up to like the 0.7, 0.8, as we get a little bit lighter, to ensure that, like I say, we're, we're taking care of that that kind of hormonal profile and and you know making sure that we do get some healthy fats in there. So. Those numbers were there. I normally pitch it around one gram. Like, you know, if you got kind of like anywhere, you know, at maintenance or anything else, like one gram of fat per kilo, is a pretty kind of good ball, ballpark figure. But I say that would be the slider scale that I would go to. However, say it's down to personal preference, the length of the diet that you want to do, the amount of weight that you've got to do, the amount of adip- adipose tissue that you have at the at the moment. You know, all of these things need to take into consideration. So, you know, those numbers are not gospel But they're definitely kind of nice kind of starting point to ensure that, yeah, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not not finding it very difficult to get you into your calorie deficit because you're eating like 1.5 grams per kilo of body of fat. So, you know, know, that kind of, that's where I would pitch it. And it maybe leads on to the another point on the back of, of macronutrients in terms of another key pillar for me in maintaining muscle mass is to not make your calorie deficit too aggressive yeah and i think that's a common fault that a lot of people make in that Definitely. they go so low in terms of their you know in terms of their calorie intake that it's really challenging like you know you, you need a certain amount and obviously we need a certain amount of calories overall for for basal metabolic rates just you know, function and everything else then we ask our body to do you know tons of exercise and we were walking and increasing our steps and doing all of these different things to, to elicit a calorie deficit. But if it's too aggressive, it just makes it super, you know, even harder to, to maintain muscle mass. So maybe have times where you're like shorter times where you're aggressive or extend to the timeline that you're going to try and achieve your goal. And for me, that's probably the, the, the most optimal way to maintain, oh, again, title, maintain muscle mass in deficit is to make a slightly smaller deficit and just extend the timeline slightly
2: yeah
3: yeah no i couldn't agree more i think that's a really really kind of good point to make coming back to kind of protein as well i want to do because we've obviously talked about the numbers of overall intake Um last week we broke down a study looking at mm. amount of protein per serving and um, would that change your recommendations with regards to kind of how many protein servings per across the day because historically i would advise based on previous research sort of three to five servings of protein spaced out evenly across the day to help kind of maximize muscle protein synthesis because there's you're getting basically a hit of that consistently across the day as opposed to what could potentially now be coming clear a huge hit earlier in the day keeping kind of the anabolic response higher and then another huge hit kind of later on in the day what would would that change kind of your views
1: i mean definitely if you haven't listened to that podcast please go back and one episode and listen to it because it's a, it's a very recent study where they, they say did 100 grams of protein in, in a feeding and saw that you know it didn't get oxidized the excess in amino acids there wasn't this ceiling at 25 grams it was you know spaced out over the day where say protein synthesis was elevated protein breakdown say is maybe mitigated and that's obviously one of the key things that we want we want a positive protein balance when we're trying to diet and maintain muscle mass so definitely mate I, I do think that Higher protein or bigger protein feeds potentially have efficacy in terms of helping people to maintain muscle mass when dieting, as opposed to, you know, smaller feeds, more regular. Maybe the practicality of that isn't, isn't quite achievable for a lot of people. So maybe having, like, say less bigger or less feeds, but bigger, I think might be something to, to, to kind of, you know, explore. Definitely. Obviously, we we talked about explaining in terms of that. This is a, this is the first step in terms of this research. We need more studies that are, are going to kind of do this. But I do think that that's maybe something to to uh, to implement in, in people's diets if potentially you struggle to kind of get those, you know, regular feeds in. Like especially if sometimes people struggle with snacks in the afternoon. So like their lunch, so their breakfast and lunch is okay. But then it's maybe like in that eight hour window between like lunch and dinner that they struggle to get protein in. So could you have... A couple of bigger bolus doses at breakfast such as doubling up the amount of you know greek yogurt that you're having or having a protein shake on the side of your current breakfast to nudge that up and they say having slightly more protein at your lunch could that be a beneficial thing to not have to then worry so much about getting the protein in a a, a snack don't know i think i think there's i think that there is something there what's your what's your yeah
3: i think I think that's a really good way to approach it as well. Because obviously, the study that we looked at was looking at 100 grams of protein, and you don't necessarily have to be hitting the 100 grams in this kind of like extra because it saw there was a dose response. So, if like Liam said, it's one of those where you know there's going to be a time of the day later where you might have loads going on or whatever, and you're not necessarily going to be able to get a protein rich snack or protein dense meal in, then compensating for that earlier in the day or later in the day now seems to be like it would be fine. Whereas previously people might have been a little bit almost obsessed with getting 40 grams in every uh, three hours. And it has to be that no more, no less, because I need to maximize muscle protein synthesis and I don't want to oxidize any excess amino acids. Um, yeah. But now we know that that's kind of probably not the case. I think taking that almost more relaxed approach, I yeah, guess, where definitely. it's like, hey, I know I'm not going to potentially have the chance to get as much protein in later. So let's yeah uh, compensate now and then maybe plan for a bigger feed later in the day as well could 100%. be could be
1: super useful. Yeah, definitely, mate. I think that is yeah. I'm looking like I said, we we're looking forward to some more studies on that. But you know, if you are looking to to do this, I do I do think exploring different dietary practices that maybe fit with your lifestyle, maybe your job, maybe your training, maybe your like say work, social, home life, then I I do think that that would be something to to explore. So yeah, a couple other things for me. There was a there was a research paper that came out about about this topic, and it kind of did a bit of a review. and And one of the things that they you know that they said was that combined diet and exercise induced weight loss results in greater improvements than weight loss, or, or, or let's like say creating a a deficit through diet alone or just doing exercise alone. So we've spoken about you know, let's like say the pillars of exercise, and we spoke about the pillars of let's say dieting. If you do them both, you're going to see better results. If you do one. Yeah like you say you're not going to maybe see the the kind of results so you know those those kind of types of things that we just explored there like you say try to try to implement both of them and i think you're going to see better results
3: yeah i do also just as a almost caveat to that or to play devil advocate a little bit if this new year of january you are starting exercise and looking at your nutrition for the first time ever and you've never kind of done it before I do think that there's something to be said for maybe focusing on one initially um, just to kind of get set in the right direction almost so picking hey I'm going to get moving or hey I'm going to get my diet sorted out and then bringing the other one in later because we know that that the combination is obviously um, more efficient achieving what we want to achieve in a deficit but if it feels too big if it feels too overwhelming or whatever because you've not done this in however long or never really kind of looked into it then picking one and being consistent with one to start off with
1: would be um, my advice, I'm sure. Mate, 100%. And for fat loss, I would, you know, if you've got a lot of weight to lose, I would definitely focus on your diet first Mm -hmm. because that's going to be a bigger driver to you just doing three training sessions a week and keeping your diet the same. So, like you say, it is identifying a priority in one of those and and ensuring, like you say, a layer on that detail From the other side of things, and focusing on that as as more of a priority once you get into that pattern with your training or with your diet. So, yeah, really good stuff. Supplementation, anything else? Yeah, that
3: was that was going to be my next question. Was any potential subs? And I think there's a couple to use. Obviously, if you're resistance training, creatine's always always going to get a mention. Even if you're not resistance training, creatine should get a mention, I think. But obviously, when we're thinking about maintaining muscle mass, it gets more benefit when you're resistance training. So. Um, consistently taking creatine is a huge one for me. There's There's been a decent amount of evidence over in the past as well about potential of omega-3s amplifying yeah. the response to resistance training and the stimulus there. So I think that is also a very useful thing. Omega-3s have so many benefits, oh, no. though. There. No, no. I bang on about them all the time, but it's like, take them, take them. Yeah. Interesting, this one is not necessarily potentially to do directly with maintaining muscle mass, but it does indirectly. And that is going to be vitamin D, Yeah, let's say. So vitamin D in January, more important than most of the times of the year, because we know that there is definitely that relationship, even if it's not a causal one, as a relationship between seasonal affective disorder and vitamin D levels, and it can potentially affect motivation, right? Mm-hmm. And your immune system and all of these kind of things that at this time of year are potentially going to get in the way of you resistance training or you attacking your diet so it works indirectly i guess in a way but i think vitamin d is definitely one that everyone should be taking uh any more liam i've probably got a few i could touch on but
1: the only other one that i think maybe has a bit of efficacy is hmb the it's a metabolite leucine, and and a lot of the research has come out basically showing that it can kind of slow down the rate of catabolism so it, it kind of stops that kind of Know muscle protein breakdown, and so I do think there's a little bit there. A lot of products will stack creatine and HMB together. So again, I don't think there. There was one study ages and ages ago that came out, and it, it basically showed that it like increased muscle mass by like two point four grams, and so it like, like massive increases, and you know it really helped when people were dieting, and, and and everyone went mad for it. But I do think that that's. You know, in this scenario, maybe have some, maybe has some efficacy, but I don't think it should be done ahead of vitamin D, creatine, and amigos. Yeah. And obviously, protein powder, we, we, we class that as a supplement. So that would be a not a simple thing to be added to your not an, not a necessary thing, but a a simple thing to, to add. That would, that would be my other one that I would say like, potential. But yeah, other than that, I don't know. What, what else did you have on the list? I don't think anything directly would.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I would, mine were more to do with performance and training or keeping kind of yourself fit and yeah, healthy okay. in January and that kind of thing. So um potentially looking at green powders, there's obviously a limited amount of research looking at just green powders alone, but food quality, it's going to help bump up that for sure. I mean, we haven't even talked about food quality, but again, it's one of those we're getting kind of colorful fruits and veg in across this time period, anywhere you can help yourself. Yeah. not fall ill, not fall yeah. the way of Liam and that kind of thing yeah. is only going to yeah. be more beneficial for when you're wanting to maintain. That's that's a very soreness. good
1: point, Mike. That's a very good point because you know the, the primary pillar to this is resistance training and, and training yeah. regularly. So we often find that when people have a very poor quality diet, that the inflammation is a little bit higher, muscle soreness is a little bit higher, they impair their recovery. So if you are someone that they say is potentially kind of getting back into the gym or, or kind of starting their fitness journey, then the food quality will help you to recover more efficiently and get better results. But if you aren't recovering efficiently and you have to take extra rest days, and again, like, and you're trying to maintain mass, what muscle mass when you're dieting, you know, you're not, you know, you're not helping yourself by, you know, training more frequently. So again, a healthy diet, food quality, food first approach, always going to be something that. You know, we, we really bang the drum for because like, like Luke said, like, if you can maintain the, 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 the consistency with your resistance training, the, the amount of times that you turn up, A, from a calorie output perspective, but also from a, say, resistance training, helping to make, maintain muscle mass. I said, it's going to be beneficial. So say, improve your recovery, overall health, well-being, mood, energy. It's going to be beneficial.
3: Well, there's a, a big kind of pillar as well that we've missed that, that I was thinking of just then as you were running through those, Liam. Um, Sleep there it is baby there it is the impact that sleep can have on muscle mass on maintaining it on on that kind of thing dive into a little bit about that for us would you
1: yeah i i, ha- I, I should have brought the study up because it's actually one of my favorite studies where they put people into they, they matched their calories and they matched their training and they made some they, they made one group sleep for eight and a half hours lucky group and they made another group sleep for five and a half hours and they, they, they basically saw that the eight and a half hour group gained muscle and lost fat. And the five and a half hour group lost muscle mass and gained a little bit of fat. So literally the, the, the reverse of what happened. And this is only with three and three hours difference. Like it, the, the results are insane and it's been replicated in, in a couple of, a couple of studies as well. So, you know, we talk about, we talk about, you know, I say all of these nutrition side of things, like, Again, if if your sleep isn't optimal on a consistent basis, then you can, you're going to kind of really struggle. I think this was over a two-week period. But obviously, like, you know, that that will extrapolate down. So you are going to be finding it harder to maintain muscle mass, you know, if you have, like, a couple of days, bad sleep or, you know, whatever. So it, it's really hard. And it, kind of going into the practical side of things, like this is why shift workers, this is why parents, this is why, you know, the dad board mum tum whatever you want to call it they occur because it the lack of sleep is situational that you can't avoid it most of the time so again it's really challenging even if you have your ducks in a line with a lot of the other stuff it, it, it is really challenging if if sleep isn't a you know a foundation there so yeah i i find that it, it is hard like you know when you don't sleep motivation to train goes down the quality of your workouts go down you know and and through choices it's it harder and obviously from a metabolic and, and physiological point of view, there's lots of things happening. I'm not recovering. I'm not regenerating. I'm not doing these things. So yeah, sleeps, maybe, maybe we should have moved sleep up the pillar, mate. Up, up, oh, the, definitely. up, up the pyramid, I think on it. Yeah. I'd put, I mean, I, I,
3: it's still not beating training. No, for me, it's not. No, you're right. When we're talking about maintaining muscle mass, but I do think sleep and sleep needs to be way up there. Yeah. Uh, and there's obviously things that you can do from your nutrition point of view to potentially help with sleep. Obviously, some of these are are quite person specific, so they'll vary person to person depending on kind of what you prefer. But a good rule of thumb is kind of like, you know, A, not going to bed hungry and B, not going to bed full to the brim and having like huge feeds. They're kind of really nice and simple ones. Uh, There's a couple of potential supplements that can help you sleep on a magnesium before bed can help a little bit with recovery, that kind of thing. I've been using L-theanine quite a lot as of late in the evening to kind of help. As a single, as a single,
1: as a single amino acid. Have you taken it as a single?
3: So I, I take it actually. I've got a uh, sleep supplement that is, it's got L-theanine within a bunch of other stuff. So it's the main things that I enjoy within that are the magnesium and the L-theanine realistically. Mm, mm. It's got a couple of other things thrown in as well, like uh, Montmorency cherry, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's, they're the, the two things that I kind of attribute its success to. And maybe a little bit, there's a bit of placebo to it as well, but I always feel a lot more. I find it the L-theanine a lot easier to kind of get to sleep to switch off during nice, the evening. Really, yeah, um, nice. almost. Yeah, and and as I say, it may be placebo, it may not. There is some evidence around L-theanine and its calming properties. Yeah, Calming the nervous. Um, it's the same as
1: magnesium, isn't it? Right.
3: Yeah, it's not. It's not a huge amount of evidence, but there's definitely some. And yeah, I almost like clockwork. Really, like good. forty-five minutes after I take it, I'm like, sweet, yeah, I could fall asleep right now. Whereas before, I struggle with that mass. I mean, I do anyway because. ADHD so my brain tends to be firing but that's massively helped with getting to sleep and I also wake up feeling more rested as well. really. it's one of those where like I notice when I've run out because nice, okay. my sleep is there's or like an immediate bounce back from it so, what's the, what, what's the um, brand, what's the supplement the brand is, is NuVictus which I've probably mentioned NuVictus. before, mm. it's a friend of mine from Sheffield, set it up, David Stash and they've got a couple so they, they it's yes. a subscription based model, they use greens powders to take during the day and a recovery product at night it's good. I've I've seen kind of real benefits from it. So. Yeah,
1: I think I think there's not many ingredients or supplements that directly affect you to you know sleep like melatonin mm. would. So using things that calm the nervous system and, and, and say calm you down and, and, and say help induce that kind of like healthy sleep or that regularity and, and the quality. I think that's that's a really kind of nice thing to to yeah. do. But yeah, mate, that like say anything that you can do from that side of things. I was talking on a on a podcast. Actually, I was doing it yesterday, but this is obviously two weeks ago now. About they asked me about sleep supplements, and I said, "Oh, do you know the meme where there's like a crack in the pavement and someone stuck a plaster over it?" Yeah. I was just like, "I was like, unless you have everything else, you know, in line in terms of your environment to sleep, to like say your nutrition timing, not eating like you know loads of stuff right before bed, but maybe having a small snack, eating in the right amounts." you know having some form of routine where you kind of wind down try to get into a healthy healthy pattern of eating i was like just taking a magnesium and something else like <laughs> you're papering over the cracks so i do i do think that you know it's challenging and to, to kind of loop back to you know particularly my situation as well that i think sometimes we can put pressure on ourselves in certain scenarios where we're in like if you got young kids if you're working shifts if you're you know, in a, in a period where your sleep is going to be disrupted due to your lifestyle, then you have to make sure that you're doing these other things. Like, you can, it, it's not a kind of death warrant where you're like, well, you can't maintain muscle mass in a deficit if you are not sleeping very well. You can, you just need to ensure that other things are probably tighter. That would be my advice. So like I say, don't sign it off and be like, ah, well, there's no point until the kids are older and they're sleeping. Then you you, can, you have you probably just have to be a little bit more kind of say laser focused on the other areas.
3: Definitely, definitely, that's... awesome. Anything else that we've missed, Emily, when it comes to maintaining muscle mass in a deficit?
1: Mate, I, no, I, I genuinely think that was that was really good. <laughs> I think there were some really good, really good points in there. I'm glad we remembered to say sleep because that would have been yeah. something that would have been a big thing to miss out. But no, I, I, I say I, I, it's a challenging thing to do. You know that that's what you have to understand and. I just hopefully this podcast has made given you some you know food for thought in terms of not making it even harder for yourself. So you know go through that checklist, identify maybe areas where you are missing the missing it or or, or not kind of tight on a few area, on a few other things. Let's say and ho- and hopefully you can see some see some see some success.
3: Definitely, definitely more success than you got with saying see some success. See, see some success. Uh, it's quite hard. It's a bit of a tongue twister to that yeah, one, but. Yeah, resistance training, get your protein in, not too big of a deficit. Sleep, sleep, sleep. The subs that we mentioned, obviously, creatine, omega-3s, vitamin D being the main main ones. Maybe looking at HMB as well. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good checklist to just run through. But yeah, guys, hope you enjoyed this podcast. Hopefully it's super useful. Obviously, I know there's probably a fair few people out there attacking a deficit now. Maybe it's gotten you to reconsider just how big a deficit you should be in maybe it's gotten you to think a little bit more about sleep or maybe it's gotten you to think a bit more about protein and uh, having maybe larger amounts at different points in the day if you got something from it then fantastic let us know drop us a message all that kind of stuff drop us a message on our our instagram ph nutrition if ever there's anything that you want to hear see on these podcasts you want me and liam to dive into then send them over we've got a fair few decent episodes lined up Mm. and some fun topics coming up i know looking at how to find good quality nutrition information on the internet because the internet is a cesspit Just subscribe, uh,
1: to so. Just subscribe to us <laughs> that's going to be the
3: podcast it's going to be 30 yeah, seconds no, exactly. be. <laughs> yeah liam how do we find good quality nutrition information on Scroll the website back
1: through the library of podcasts there you
3: go. There'll be a little bit more than that, I believe, yeah. looking at filtering. I, I like to use, well, well, we'll spoil it, but a Swiss cheese model of information. Which I'm, for that. I'm looking forward to finding that. The Swiss cheese model. The Swiss cheese model yeah it's basically there's different layers of swiss cheese with different holes in it and good quality research the holes need to line up essentially so you'll have like a mechanistic layer a real world layer almost i've I've got more layers but off the top of my head Uh, so yeah we've got a couple of good ones lined up but yeah if you want everyone to cover anything let us know obviously you can find more about us at our website phnutrition.co.uk but Liam, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you this morning, and I will see you in the next one.
2: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.